0: Morning, Fellowship of Faith. Amen. Guys, so good to see you. Did we not have like an incredible Holy Week and Easter here this past week or what? Let's just give it up for the band and the techs and everyone who, you know, my, my gosh, it, it, it's so strange. It feels like an eternity ago at, at one level, just, just a week ago that we were gathered here right now actually in between services um, because we couldn't hold it at one. And, and it's a week later, and yet I'm still kind of like just basking in it a little bit. You know, guys, I'd like you to do something for me this morning. So often, don't we get through something and we're just like rushing on without celebrating and enjoying what God's already done? Look, turn around to someone by you. It could be someone you came here with. It could be someone in front or in back. You don't have to touch them if you're weird about that kind of stuff right now. (laughs) But you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to share just really briefly. What was one high point that came out of Holy Week for you? Can you do that for a minute? All right, then, then, then go do that for a minute. All right. You know, it's been about uh, 14 months, 15 months now, believe it or not, since we did what we would call human interaction as part of our worship service, you know, through this COVID thing. And I've kind of forgotten that once I release you into that, I never get you back. You know, it's just... <laughs> You're gone. But but I do want to welcome you here today. Maybe you came out for the first time this Easter or Palm Sunday or Holy Week. You got to experience something with us in this, this fellowship. That week, maybe you've been coming here for years. Maybe, maybe you've been coming here for years, but you came back in person for the first time. And maybe, uh, maybe you're live streaming at home for the first time, or or still kind of seeing this thing through to the end. Whatever it might be, welcome, welcome to this place that we call Fellowship of Faith. For those of you who don't know me, my name is David Gadini I'm the pastor here on staff, and we are just so glad that however God brought you here. You've connected with this place. And we hope it's just the beginning. We hope that because of your being here, God continues to do something in you. God continues to grow something in you. God continues to interconnect you and that something happens in your faith life and therefore all of your life with him. Because that's what God's in. He's in, we said it over Holy Week, he makes all things new. He is in the restoration business, making all things new, and we're just hoping and praying and yearning and seeking and celebrating that God's doing that. He is. He's on the scene, and he is alive in in this place and in you and the relationships that we have together. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt that he's alive and doing something new. You know, guys, now that we're on the other side of Easter, I wanna to talk to you about a project that we have been uh, undergoing here for about a year now called First Wave. Those of you who are veterans, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are newer, about a year ago, we started embarking on a construction project here that you've been seeing unfold every week before your eyes. And, and can I just say, is it not looking incredible back there in the use of space and everything that's happening? And, you know, the difficulty of, of, of living in the same space that you're doing construction, those of you who have done home projects, you know what I mean. It, is that not only do you have to kind of like live in the mess while it's been happening, but you never really get what I would call that final unveiling because you see it being piecemealed out. We're at a place with first wave where it is substantially done. We are in the place right now that we call death by a thousand details. You know what I mean? All these little odds and ends, these touch-ups, these decorating, these furnishing, these, these um, well, all of our electrical stuff is on a boat in the Suez Canal somewhere, all right? Final electrical coming in and, and, and things to go on the wall and new furnishing coming in and, and bottom line, all the fun stuff. That needs to be moved into the rock because the construction is done, but now it's the fun stuff. We get to start moving all that other stuff in, the signage and you name it, and other things happening on our campus as well. And you're going to see these things unfolding still over the next couple of months depending on the boat and port schedules and and everything else. But I want to steer that in to where this is all leading for Fellowship of Faith and how you can help make it happen more quickly. We need to get final sign-off before we can have quote-unquote occupancy for our children's ministry in that space. And that, of course, is out of our hands. That's depending on our electrical getting finished, which depends on the boat coming in, which depends. You follow me, right? But we are hoping, and we think it's a reasonable hope, that children's ministry can begin here again on Sunday, June 6th. That's the week after Memorial Day, and it might sound like it's out there a little bit, but between construction and permitting, and quite honestly, vaccination schedules and parents getting comfortable coming back out, which more and more seem to be indicating, oh, come on, we're ready for this? We are hoping to open the rock on Sunday, June 6th, and it's more than that, guys. It's not only infant through fifth grade ministry but relaunching 6th through 12th grade ministry called Boulder AM at the exact same time and adults launching Adult Discipleship Hour simultaneously with children's and student ministry. Our worship service here is at 10 o'clock and it's gonna stay that way as long as we can continue to sustain it before we have to grow to two. But before that, we're hoping to go to a nine o'clock discipleship hour where your kids can come to The Rock, your kids can come to Boulder, and you can come and dig in the word in a Bible study led by me. I have not gotten to do this for so long. In between you and me, it's my favorite thing to do in ministry. I feel like I've been on this eternal fast from it, and I cannot wait to jump back in. It'll be about a 40 to 45 minute, quote unquote, hour, after which we hope that we'll all come together at 10 o'clock to worship as one multi-generational family, and by bringing the times closer together, make it a little bit more amenable to make it happen. So that's the goal. That's the goal. We're praying for it. We're yearning for it. It is Sunday, June 6th. And here's how you can help. This coming Saturday, April 17th, we are having FOF spring clean day because construction is messy and winter is messy and you're messy. (laughs) And what we want to do is have an all hands on deck. Everyone coming out, Parents, kids, singles, right? Everyone coming out, pitching in a hand to get our grounds looking great, to get our roadside and doing some roadside cleanup to bless our community and get that looking great, to get our interior looking great, and to start sanitizing toys and refurnishing our stepping stones room for our littlest guys, infant through kindergarten. If we get all hands on deck and we get to share this together, not only is it saving us so much time from a few people carrying the whole burden, not only is it saving us so much cost from having to hire crews to come in to do it, parents, it will allow us to open stepping stones, our Rock Children's ministry for the youngest of our youngest, as soon as we're ready to go. So if that can get cleaned, furnished, and opened, we can start doing children's ministry for our infants and providing a space for those of you with toddlers who, let's face it, this worship service kind of works for them. It gets tough as a parent, doesn't it? When you've got your two-year-old, you've got your three-year-old, and maybe you don't have a two- or three-year-old. But do you remember, parents, what it was like to have a two- or three-year-old? And the blessing to be able to come to church and have some people say, I'm going to minister to your kid while you get an hour, Right? to go to Bible study, to come to church. If we get an all-hands-on-deck this April 17th, we can roll it out. But the staff can't do it alone. It's dependent on you. So here's what you do. If you are unfamiliar with our website, go to it frequently because the information there is relevant. It is fellowshipoffaith.org. Tough to remember, isn't it? fellowshipoffaith.org right there on the home page. You are gonna see a big like splash card that says spring clean day. And you're gonna see a big red button on it that says register. Click it. Once you do, you'll enter your name, you'll enter your email address. And then it will take you to the next screen that is going to list out about a dozen jobs that we want to get done next Saturday. And here's how it works. You select what you want to sign up for. Find one thing, two things, three things, whatever it might be. And next Saturday when we start at 9 a.m., you show up, there'll be people here ready for you, people to meet you, you'll do your job, and when you're done, go home. As simple as that. Or you get done and you look around and you go, look at those poor fools still working on that, right? And maybe pitch a hand over there. You'll see some sign-ups there as well for bringing in, like, a chainsaw. That sounds like a fun job, right? That's only for 15 and younger, by the way. So, but to bring in chainsaw and other landscaping tools and other cleaning supplies and things like that, just, you know, many hands make light work and, and we all bring our equipment together. Anyway, it's as intuitive as can be. Sign up on our website, fellowshipoffaith.org. Don't delay so we can get ready for you. And let's see if we can get this place ready for the next season of ministry. You with me on that? Does that sound good? All right. Well, look, here at Fellowship of Faith, we take the Bible seriously. We, we believe it's more than just a record of things that have happened in the past. And we certainly believe it's more than than sometimes the way people approach it is some, some spiritual tales with no basis in reality other than a metaphor here or there. No, no, we think it's something more than that. At Fellowship of Faith, dare I say, we're a little bit drunk on the Bible. Because once you read this thing... you realize God works through it. That it's not just information, but it's a way that God speaks. I believe, and this church believes, that God speaks, and he's speaking to this day. And he speaks through these words, and even though these words were spoken a long time ago, God still laces these words with his spirit and speaks to us in the most personal and intimate and cutting And insightful of ways today, we believe God does something through it. And so here at Fellowship of Faith, we want to base our lives in this book because we believe this is where we get insights about who God is, what God is like, what God is doing in this world. We want to read it because we believe that when we read it, we're spending time with God. That somehow there's there's a conversation happening there even if we're not hearing an audible voice and that through this God will, will, will speak deeply into our souls with, with truth but also with life and showing us a way through the confusion and uncertainties and craziness and, and hurt of this world. This is a church where we love the Bible. We think it is the word of God itself and so what what I want to do, what our staff wants to do is help you understand it more, access it more. Not just for its own sake so you can answer some trivia questions, but, but to have deep personal intimacy with God that isn't completely dependent on what others tell you about him. But that you can go and spend deep, rich time with him and learn from him as he will speak most personally to you. We love the Bible here. We believe that it is the word of God, and of course, it contains words. I looked this up once upon a time, how many words are actually in the Bible, and I've completely forgotten. Look that up for me and Google it. I'd love to find out what it is, but I bet it's a lot. Yeah, most profound statement of the morning, right? There are words in the Bible, and I bet it's a lot. Quote me on that. Words matter though, don't they? Words fundamentally matter. And they certainly matter as a collection and how they, they interact with each other in a sentence or a paragraph to bring meaning and insight. But even a singular word has power. Even a singular word by itself can make or break, can give hope or despair, can turn our emotions and our thinking. A single word has power. I was listening to Chuck Swindoll. You guys know Chuck? Introduce me, I'd love to meet the man. (laughs) A spiritual hero of mine. And while one who predominantly preached in the 80s and 90s, shoot, probably the 70s, maybe the 60s, maybe the 20s, I don't know. I still listen to his words today and they, <laughs> there's something about the way God speaks through him. I was listening to him speak about the power of words, of, 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 of even the singular word last week and he just gave some examples. I won't, I won't recite them all, but, but a few that just struck out to, to, to illustrate to you what I mean You find a lump, and it doesn't look right. And as we age, we all start finding funny things growing on our bodies, right? Don't we? But this one feels and looks different than the other, and you go to your doctor to get it checked out. And he doesn't dismiss it out of hand, which, of course, brings with it its own sense of anxiety. Some of you have been there. And they do the test. And you come back 10 days later. And he says he wants to meet you in his office. And of course, the anxiety is high. And he gives you a single word. He gives you a single word. Benign. Words have power, don't they? Even a single word can spell the difference in <laughs> how you think and how you feel and the trajectory that your life is going to take. How much different and what direction would it be if he said a different word instead? Malignant. Oh, a word has power. A word has power. And how much worse would it be if he gave you the wrong word? the false hope, or the unnecessary despair. You meet her. And your resting heart rate goes from 60 to 110. And every time she walks in a room, you sweat. Your palms get sweaty, you get flushed, your tongue gets tied, and simultaneously your mouth gets dry. And you find yourself thinking about her and dreaming about her and wishing about her and fantasizing about her and and kind of orchestrating yourself in places where you know she might be but afraid to talk. We've been there, haven't we? And you get the courage to talk to her and you ask her out. And she says a single word. And oh, how that word will determine. You ask her out. She says, yes. And your heart comes alive and your demeanor changes and you can climb mountains and conquer the world. Oh, the power of a word. The Bible is filled with words. Words of power. Words of goodness. This school year we've been going through the words of Isaiah. This powerful, complex, poetic prophet who can be so confusing for us to read and yet through it there is such depth and mystery and wonderment and insight into the power of God and as we round out our journey this spring we're going to be looking at six words. Six words from Isaiah, words of power, words that have meaning, words, words that are everyday Hebrew words and yet when spoken and uttered, give us insight into God and the nature of who he is and what he is about the word that I want to introduce to you today. This Hebrew word from the prophet Isaiah is this. Ahava. It just feels good to say. I want you to learn these words with me. This word today. Ahava. Can you say it? And when you say it, don't you just feel a Ahava? Say it with me. Don't you feel better already? Ahava. It, yeah, you can keep saying it. That's fine. That's all right. It, <laughs> Ahava, it's this word that describes the nature of God, it describes the relationship God wants to have with you, it describes how God orients himself. It's one of many Hebrew words that often, but not always, gets translated in your English Bibles as love. God is Ahava. The Apostle John will write. If he said it in his native Hebrew, maybe he would have said it like this, God is Ahava. To talk about God is love risks being cliché especially for those of us who have been followers of Jesus for some time. But the irony is I found that despite the nature of the cliché, I believe that most people don't actually think it's true. That there's all kinds of things we can say about God. But for many people deep in their hearts, though they know Ahava might be the, quote, right answer, They don't per se believe it's true. No, for many people, for many people, God, I think, is stern. Harsh. Perhaps disinterested. Uninvolved. Removed. Or maybe this, that God is judgmental and never able to be pleased. Or if you take a more mild tone of that, that God is disapproving, disappointed, resigned with you. As a parent who might, well, love you, but one who really isn't happy about who you are and the choices you're making. You no, know, for many people I find that God, God is not ahava, God is not thought of as ahava. The relationship with God is not thought of on the basis of ahava. But Isaiah over and over declares the ahava of God. There's a passage I want to share with you this morning. But before I get there, maybe two quick illustrations of how I think people don't think of God as Ahava. I invited a family member of mine to come to Fellowship of Faith. There's not much of a religious practice in her life, though there certainly is church exposure in her childhood. I invited her to come, and she smiled, and she laughed. She said, oh my gosh, if I was to go to your church, lightning would strike the place. And she said it with a laugh, to try to bring a joy and and, and release the tension, but it revealed something. That while we can laugh about it up here, she really believes that God is out to get her. That she is so far from God and so at odds with the way of God that if she were to come into God's presence in any kind of way, that God would strike her down. Ironically, I wish more Christians would think that way. Ironically, stay with me. Ironically, I think she may be more in tune with the true nature of herself than most of us who call ourselves Christian like to confess or believe. Because she knew full well that she was not right. That who she had become and the practice of her life was not right. She knew something about the goodness of God and the ungoodness of herself. And we who have become so accustomed to calling on the name of Christ and coming into a place like this might learn something from her to come face to face with our own sinfulness a little bit more to walk away from an entitled aspect of God that of course he loves me because I'm such a good person. Of course he should love me. Why shouldn't he love me and everyone else as well? No, there's something in what she revealed that I think is strangely good that we can all better from and yet simultaneously completely missing that God loves her with an undying love as well maybe god should strike you down but i tell you this if god wanted to judge you he would not have sent his son to die for you and that's for the worst of you here for the worst of you listening if god wanted to judge you he would not have sent his son to die for you god loves you god is love god is ah hava and the relationship he wants with you is one of ah hava oh please hear me please hear me god is not looking or desiring to strike you down illustration 2 i think of it's more tempered approach It's one that I hear Christians especially say and and many of you hear and I appreciate the honesty and the vulnerability when you say it. Please don't hear from me judgment. But it kind of goes like this. Well, okay, maybe, maybe Jesus loves. Maybe Jesus is loving, but when I read the Old Testament, what I see is a God of anger and wrath. You don't need to raise your hands, but have you ever been there or do you think that way today? But see, the irony is that the same God that you see incarnate in Jesus is the same God of the Old Testament. They are one and the same. And as the scriptures declare, God is the same in character and nature, yesterday, today, and forever. That the God of Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And maybe in your mind, you have this fixation on certain stories of judgment or of wrath or maybe you really haven't read much of it at all, but you're parroting what you've heard other people say and misconstrue. If you have this belief about the Old Testament, what I would encourage you to do is simply this. Read it 50 more times. Read it 50 more times, and you will see a love and grace pouring out of the pages. The irony is that even though people often think this way, The Old Testament has many of the most powerful passages of love and grace, and Jesus himself has the harshest words of judgment in the Bible to say. Let that mess with your misperception. No, but Isaiah says this, God is Ahava. Let me show you this passage now here today from Isaiah 41, from the message version, which I love. Read Isaiah in the message. But you, Israel, are my servant. You're Jacob. My first choice. Descendants of my good friend, Abraham. I pulled you in from all over the world, called you in from every dark corner of the earth, telling you, you're my servant, serving on my side. I've picked you. I haven't dropped you. You know what I think of when I think about that? Do you remember middle school, Jim? Two captains, pick your teams. And you always fear being last. Who do captains always pick? Their friends. Because, of course, they're friends with people who are athletic as well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be captains to begin with, Right? But what does Yahweh say to the least of these, to Israel, the smallest and the weakest? No, I picked you. I picked you. And I ain't disappointed in my pick. I ain't dropping you. I'm not letting you go. Don't panic. I'm with you. There's no no need to fear. For I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady. Keep you a firm grip on you. Aren't these the words of love? Do you see the the word Ahava in here? Let me show you where it's at. You're Jacob, my first choice, descendants of my Ahava, Abraham. My friend the one close to me, the one of my heart, the one I want to spend time with, the one I desire relationship with. Is there nothing better in this world than to have a relationship of deep and abiding love with another human being? And God says, that what God wants with you is a relationship of ahava. Loving you, and you loving him, calling you his loved one, and you saying the same to him. Doesn't that sound amazing? This is the God of the Bible. This is what this word Ahava communicates. It's a mind anchor. A mind anchor. If you can anchor this word in your mind, ahava, and through it to explode on the scene, all of its connotations of what it can mean, that God wants to ahava with me. Oh, that God thinks of me as an ahava. Is there anything better? Really? Really? It's the heart of the Bible, guys. The heart of the message that a God of this world, who has no business really associating with us, we are so beneath him, wants to call you friend. Good friend, because the nature of who he is. Is Ahavan. You see this explode through the pages. Let me show you two examples very quickly, explain to you two examples rather. One, about how he invites us into this relationship with him, but then how he does it with us in return. Maybe the most important passage in the Old Testament for understanding the nature of God, one, that the Hebrews and Israelites and Jews have proclaimed almost as their mantra, as their national anthem, as their core verse, if you will. The light verse of the Bible comes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. Let me give it to you. Older students, you might know it. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. You don't know what that means. Here, Israel, listen. Listen. Open your ears. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, our God. Yahweh Echad. Is one in English? Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. It's just fun to say. Give me a Shema, Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. Give me a Yahweh Eloheinu. Yahweh Eloheinu. Give me a Yahweh Echad. Yahweh Echad. Give me an Echad. Echad. Give me a. Ch- <laughs> and they would own it. You were here for Palm Sunday. Some of you were here for ten thirty on Easter. It's not just a thought on a page. No, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. we got to do it again. I'll lead you follow. Shema Yisrael, Yisrael. Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Yahweh Echad, Echad. and you shall ahava, Yahweh your God. You shall ahava Yahweh your God is the very next line. You shall ahava Yahweh your God with all your lavav. Ahava with all your lavav. <laughs> that can have so many different connotations. <laughs> with your lavav, with this, your heart. Love him with all your lavav, your, your heart, your mind, your intellect, your, your will. Ahavah Yahweh with all your lavav. It just rolls, doesn't it? You shall ahavah Yahweh with all your lavav and with all your nefesh your soul, your life force, your being, the very breath within you that courses and makes you alive. Love him with all your lavav. Love him with all your nephesh. Love him with all your me'od. <laughs> with all your strength. With all your power. With all your fortitude. You can't, you just feel the words, right? They're poetic by nature. You can't just say me'od and you just, like, your whole gut say it. Me'od. You just, just got to kind of do this motion. Can you, can you do that with me? Ready? Let's try it. Mood. You feel it? You feel it? Love God that way. Love him with all your mode. Love him with all your life force. Love him with all your lavav. Do you hear what God is calling you to? If not, listen. Listen, Israel. Listen, you people today, love him because that's what he wants with you. Love him with every ounce of your being. That is the relationship God wants with you because that is who he is. God is Ahava. I love how Jesus puts it as well. This is from John 15. It's the Last Supper on a day that Christians celebrate as Monday Thursday. Have you heard of this day by this name? Did you celebrate? I'm curious. Did you celebrate this day at home or with us together here at FOF? It was amazing to watch these young men and women gather at the foot of the stage and go, I Ahava, God. And I know that God Ahavaz me. Oh, they didn't say it with that word, but they said it. If you were listening, it was on that day that Jesus gathered with his disciples. Within hours, he would be arrested, crucified, killed. And look at what he said to them. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, that Jesus would say that to you. Come follow me, but not a servant. I call you my friend because Yahweh was in the disciples midst that day and Yahweh is is a God who called Abraham and his descendants good friends. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Old Testament pulses with love and grace. Jesus says, I have called you. Friends, that God calls you friends, that Jesus calls you friends. You are my friend. I want you to be my friend. Please be my friend. It's a holy thing to be invited, to be someone's friend. It's a vulnerable thing to ask someone to be. That Jesus would make himself, that God would make himself vulnerable. Would you be my friend? I don't think of you as servant, I think of you as friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. No, you didn't choose me, Jesus, that I chose you to be my friend. I chose you and appointed you To go now and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. It sounds too good to be true. Try it. Because that's what friends do. Kind of. Ask your friend for black tar heroin. A true friend is not going to give it. No, God is not going to give you everything just because you ask because God loves you but friends delight in giving good things. Try it. Try coming to Yahweh, your friend, as a friend and not just to see what you can get out of your friend. We all want to be friends with the person who owns the boat, right? <laughs> but it has to be more than the boat. It has to be because they're friend. Try the same with Yahweh. This is my command. love each other can i sum up the christian ethic the christian way of life in one phrase maybe i'll just take jesus three words love each other because god is ahava monday thursday he said this you ever wonder what that weird word means monday Do you ever use that word in any other context in your life? It is a maundy day today. (laughs) It's from the Latin, mandatum. You're learning all kinds of language here today. But if you're listening carefully, you can hear English derivative within it. Mandatum. Can you hear it? Mandate. It is the day of mandate. The day when Jesus mandated something. The day he mandated this, love each other. I think every day should be a Monday, Thursday. And I think that's what Jesus wants and had in mind as well. And I think I'm just going to leave it at that. God is Ahavah. God Ahavahs you. Ahavah with him as well. And Ahavah each other. Band, why don't you come on up? I'm sing a cool song. Has there ever not been a cool song? <laughs> Never. No, but I like this one, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a classic, a modern classic, if you will. It's powerful if, if you really let yourself release into the words. Maybe um, as we sing this, look, this is going to sound odd, but make it a love song today. Serenade God. <laughs> let God serenade you. And, and, and now putting aside just for a moment some of, like, you know, the, okay, making it sound hokey and laughing about that. No, no, truly maybe allow yourself to be vulnerable with this as an expression of your love for him and more importantly, his love for you as well. Let's rise and sing.